so I'd love to have, you know, have you have the Word of God before you, for you. Um, if you're using one of the Bibles we provided for you, I think we're on page uh, 1011. If that's wrong, somebody can shout that out. Uh, if you're in the digital age, you want to turn on your Bible, uh, go for it. We would love, we just would love for you to have the Word of God before you in whatever form you have it here with you uh, this morning. One of the things is, is exciting, uh, specifically about today, is it is Palm Sunday, and, and Palm Sunday um, leads up to Holy Week. And, and actually, that's that's where I want to start, kind of a launch pad this morning. In fact, uh, we'll put uh, all the scriptures this morning up on the screen. But Matthew chapter twenty-one, verse eight and nine, records Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem. This is the triumphant entry. It says, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches out of trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. But blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Now one of the things that's interesting about the name Hosanna is the name Hosanna literally translates save us or save us now. Uh, the word Hosanna is actually a, a desperate plea for salvation. And what we see is, is Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem. The, the crowds are crying out to him. They're, they're laying down palm branches. They're laying down their cloaks and their coats because they believe there's something significant about him. Uh, and, and really what they believe is he's the Messiah, that he's the one who's been sent by God. But what they think is he's really going to be the new political leader. They think the kind of salvation that he's going to offer them is political salvation. And, and see, what's interesting is Jerusalem is God's city that he gave to his people. But at this time, Jerusalem is has been conquered and is being ruled by the Roman Empire, who at this point in history rules all of the known world. And so what they think, what the people think, what the crowd thinks, what the people who are laying down the palm branches think, is that Jesus is entering the city to give them political freedom, that he would become their king, that he would kick out Rome, and that Jerusalem would be the way that it's supposed to be. And because hindsight is always twenty twenty, you and I know the rest of the story, that that's not what happens. In fact, Holy Week is the week we celebrate, and the week we remember that Jesus gave his life so that you and I might be forgiven of our sins, that he died the death that you and I deserve, and he rose again to give us the life God always wanted us to have. And one of the things that's significant about this moment in Holy Week is it reminds us that Jesus always wants to save us from more than we want to be saved from. See, it's interesting that the people who are crying out to him, the people who are crying out, Hosanna, with an exclamation mark, they're going, save us, but what they're really desiring is that he would save them from the political rule and reign of Rome. And Jesus shows up and he goes, I'm going to save you, but I want to save you from more than you really want to be saved from. And see, the reality is in this room, there's those of us who cry out to God. And we use the word Hosanna. Maybe you didn't really articulate that word, but what you're saying is, God, I need you to show up. God, I need you to do something significant. I need you to get involved in this situation, and I need you to save. And the reality is we're desperately pleading, God, save us and save us quickly. God, show up and do something and work powerfully. Do what only you can do, and I, I kind of need you to do it now. 
And yet we see that Jesus always wants to save us from more than we want to be saved from. And see, for the last several weeks, we've been talking about this idea that there's times in your life and times in my life where there's conflict or tension between what we desire for God to do and what God really wants to do in our lives. And usually what happens during that time is we feel as though God is inattentive, that he is not cooperating, that he's not doing what we think he should do. In fact, there's a lot of times that we even think that he's non-responsive and late. See, what's so interesting about John chapter 11 is I think Jesus creates this moment for you and for me, as much as he created this moment for Mary and for Martha and for Lazarus. That instead of just teaching, instead of just giving us a parable, Jesus gives us this living illustration and he gives us this example because he's saying, listen, there will come a moment in your journey and there will come a moment in my journey where we have these thoughts, where we think, God, I think you had the power to do this. God, I think this was something within your will. I don't think this was outside of something you could do, or at least it's not. It's something that I think you should have done, and you didn't. You didn't show up. You didn't answer the prayer request. You didn't come like we wanted you to come. And Jesus creates this moment, I think, to teach us that we can trust him. Even in the middle of suffering, conflict, intention in our lives. Now, I want to be as transparent as I can be in the time that we have. Is it one of the things that's happened in my life, in, in, in my family, mainly with my wife and I, we're all good and we love each other and we always will, but the last two months have been incredibly difficult. Uh, stuff that's completely outside our control, uh, stuff that we've been praying for, stuff that we've been seeking God for, stuff as we open up his word, and we go, look, at it looks like this is within your will. There's no scripture verse that says anything against this thing we're hoping for, this thing we're praying for. In fact, all of this seems like something that you can do, something that you would do, something that at least we think you should do. And this week, uh, those things that we've been hoping for, those things that we've been praying for, those things that we've been broken, those things that we've been hoping for broke right before our eyes. And they're done. And I wasn't going to preach this week because I didn't know if I could get through the message. And so Steve was all geared up, ready to go. He was going to preach, and I, I talked to him this week, and I said, hey, I think I'm supposed to preach this one. And he said, why? Why do you want to preach this one? And I said, well, I, first of all, I feel really bad that, like, last minute I'm asking you to preach when you've been, like, overseeing the stage and all this cool stuff and the beams going down and, and the, you know, the building getting painted and coordinating all those volunteers. And I just feel bad about saying, hey, I, I need you to preach now. And Steve, because he's a good man and a good friend, and he loves Jesus more than he loves me, he said, that's not a good enough reason for you to preach. So why's it got to be about me? And I said, here's the thing. I actually think God's telling me to do this. Because the reality is if I can't preach this one, then we might as well apologize for the last three. See, I believe more than ever that what Jesus reveals to us in John chapter 11 is what we need. And I'm convinced more today than I was three weeks ago. That's true. So what we've learned over the last couple weeks is this. Very, very quickly, very simply, we've learned that you and I as believers will experience suffering in our lives. But we've learned that you and I as believers 
There will be times that we feel like we're waiting on God, and waiting is not an interruption of his will. Sometimes it is his will. We've learned that we can actually count these moments joy because what James, the half-brother, Jesus tells us that God works in us during these times, that there's something about the testing of our faith that leads to steadfastness, and steadfastness builds our character so that we may grow up maturing, lacking nothing rather being perfect. And what we learned today is so significant because it kind of wraps this whole thing up together. And what we learn is that Jesus always responds to us in our struggles. He doesn't always do what we want him to do. He doesn't always show up when we think he should show up. He doesn't always show up how we think he should show up. And he doesn't always do what we want him to do. Thank God he's bigger than that. But what we do discover is that Jesus always responds to our struggles. And here's the situation, John chapter 11. This is the moment that Jesus creates. These are the circumstances that he's going to use to teach us this. And we're going to wrap this all together. We've been through John 11 a couple times. It says this, John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. We'll go all the way to verse 4. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters went to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. I want you to do this with me real quick. Would you say the word love? Love. John chapter 11 is about love. And John's going to go out of his way to prove to us that this whole thing is about love. He who you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Here's what I want you to do. Say love. Say glory. Say love, say glory. John chapter 11 is about love. God's love for us, and it's also about his glory. And now let's just kind of break this down real quick. At the simplest level, Martha and Mary send word to Jesus, and they say, listen, here's the deal. Our brother's sick, really sick. Like this isn't go to Walgreens and buy some cough drops sick. This is bad. And as we're tending to him and as we're serving him and as we're trying to make him better, you know what's happening? He's getting worse. And so here's the thing, Jesus. We need you to come. Now, I want you to grasp this. The reason that they want Jesus to heal their brother is because they love their brother. But if Jesus will heal Lazarus, it alleviates all kinds of stuff, right? If Mary and Martha see Lazarus healed, then they no longer have to worry about him. They no longer have to tend to him in his sickness. They no longer have to worry about death. They no longer have to plan a funeral. And so here's the mindset, because it's the same mindset that you and I have at times of saying, Jesus, if you would show up and heal Lazarus, it would prevent us from going through all this stuff. See, if you would show up and if you would get involved, then I would never have to go through this. And so I need you to show up and alleviate all my problems by performing a miracle and healing my brother. And here's what we discover in John chapter 11, just like we saw 
is Jesus enters Jerusalem. Is that Jesus always desires to save us from more than we desire to be saved from. See, as I read John chapter 11, this is what I see. I see Mary and Martha saying, Jesus, we need you to show up and heal our brother. And I see Jesus going, but I want to do more. Like, I, I want to do more than just heal your brother. That there's a greater purpose. There's a greater story. There's a greater unfolding. There's something more significant happening here. And there will be times in your life and my life when we're begging God, God, why don't you do something about this? I think there's times in your life and my life that God says, oh, I'm going to do something about that. But I want to do more. I want to save you from more, and I want to do more, and I want to reveal more than you could imagine. In fact, John chapter 11, verse 5, says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. John goes out of his way to go, look at, look at, look at. This is about love. This is about love. Because he loves them, because he loves them, this is what he's going to do next. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. That instead of going, instead of healing, Jesus actively, consciously decided that he was not going to go heal Lazarus, that he was not going to go do the thing that Mary and Martha asked him to do, that he was not going to show up when they wanted him to show up, and he wasn't going to show up how they wanted him to show up, and he wasn't going to do exactly what they wanted him to do. And I think Jesus creates this moment for you and for me and for Martha and for Mary and for the crowd and for the disciples. Because after a long conversation with the disciples, kind of going back and forth and back and forth. In John chapter 11, verse 12, the disciples are confused by what's going on. They think maybe maybe Lazarus has just fallen asleep. And they say, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Verse 13, now when Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that it meant taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus, has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. So that you may, what's that word? Believe. Jesus says, listen, I I want you to see what's unfolding here. This is like in the Wizard of Oz, lion, tigers, and bears, oh my. Love, glory, and believe. Oh my. So this is what Jesus says is happening. He goes, listen, because I love you, because I want you to see this, because there will be that moment that you're frustrated, because there'll be that moment that you doubt, because there'll be that moment that when I don't do what you want me to do and I don't show up when you think I should, here's what I want you to know. For Mary and for Martha and for Lazarus, for the crowd, for the disciples, for you and for me, Jesus says this is about love, This is about his glory, and this is about belief. See, I think the reason that the things that take place that we're going to see today take place is because God wanted to reveal himself, not just to Mary, not just to Martha, not just to Lazarus, not just to the crowd, not just to the disciples, but also to you and to me. 
that Jesus says, you know why this happened? I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you can believe. So you'll have something to hold on to. So you'll have something to put your trust in. When things don't go the way you think they should go, even when you're following me. In fact, I believe allowing Lazarus to die, allowing the sisters to grieve, allowing the crowd to question, allowing the disciples to wonder is actually the most loving thing that Jesus could do because he was revealing his glory to them so that they might believe. See, one of the questions John leads us to in John chapter 11, I think he does it intentionally. Maybe you're already asking this question. Maybe you have been asking this question for years now in your life. But the question that John, I think, intentionally leads us to is he recounts the stories, he asks this question, how does God love us? What does it mean for God to love us? Maybe a better question would be is, how do we measure God's love for us? And see, this question is fundamental for our belief in the gospel. This is a huge question when it comes to believing in God. Is what does it mean for him to love us? And how do you measure that love? What, what kind of indicators do you need to see in your life to say, oh, God loves me and this is how I know? And from a biblical standpoint, I think the way God loves us is by God giving himself to us. The way God loves us is by God giving himself to us. I want to show you a couple verses that John records. As John sees Jesus, as John's confidence and belief in Jesus grows, as he later recounts the stories and the happenings, he recounts some of these things, and he gives us a, a pretty clear indicator, I think. John chapter 1, 14 through 16, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus. The living Word of God took on flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He goes on to say, John bore witness about him, talking about John the Baptist, and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And John goes on to say, From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And John makes this connection. He goes, You know how God loves us? That God the Father loved you and I so much that he sent us his son, that the word became flesh. And you go, well, why did Jesus have to come? And John says it's so we could see him, so we could see his glory. That when we see Jesus, we see the fullness of God's glory in the sending of the glory of his son. And so as we see Jesus, we see his glory, we then believe in him, and it's because we believe in him that we might be saved. And John goes, grasp this. The way God the Father loves us is by sending us his son. And when we see Jesus, we see the Father. And when we see him, we see his glory and we believe in it. And from his fullness, the fullness that we can see, we would receive grace upon grace upon grace. 
And here's the pattern you see all throughout Scripture. Like, here's the pattern I think you see all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and the New Testament. Is that God reveals his divine glory to us. That God is always revealing, and this climax is when God reveals himself in the sending of his Son. And then when we see him, when we get a glimpse of his glory, when we see him as he is, we then believe in him. And we go, I see you for who you are. I hear your words. I see your teaching. I see your glory. And now I'm compelled to believe in you and to trust in you. And as I trust in you, I'm saved by you. Because it's by grace, through faith, that I am saved. Well, how do I receive grace? From his fullness. It's from his fullness that I receive grace upon grace, that God reveals himself so we can see him. And when we see him, we trust in him. And when we trust in him, we're saved by him. And see, for those of you that love Jesus and have been saved by him, you know this moment in your life where you saw him as he is for the first time, where you heard his words and something became alive in you. I've heard people describe it as it was almost like my heart was cracked open like a nut. There was this this love of God that I'd never had before. I've heard people talk about my eyes. It was, like, it was like I was blind, and then I could see. I've heard people talk about, I've heard Scripture time and time again, and every time I heard it, it was kind of like, want, 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 and then one day I heard it, and I was like, I need this. I've heard people talk about, I've heard people say, you need Jesus, and I heard it time and time again, and then one day I woke up, and I went, I need Jesus. And it's because you saw him. Because God loved you so much that he sent you his son so that you could see his glory, so that you might believe in him. And then when you believe in him, that you would be saved by him. This is the gospel, the good news that God the Father loved you and loved me so much that he sent his son that we might see him. And that he would see his love for him when he died on the cross and when he rose again for us, that we would trust him so we might be saved. And see, for some of us, we'd go, well, that's kind of a new definition of love. I've never thought of God's love that way. In fact, for most of us, we might say, well, when I think of God's love, I think of John 3.16. So do I. I'm with you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his son, his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16, God God loved you so much that he gave you his son. Why? Because if you believe in him, you would have eternal life. Now, for most of us, if we're honest, when we talk about heaven, we have some interesting views on heaven. Most of them aren't biblical, but they're kind of cute. Like most of us, when we think about heaven, we think about a pearly gate with Peter standing next to it. If you're like me, you imagine getting to heaven getting to the gate, seeing Peter, and Peter just kind of slaps you on the back of the head, and you go, I knew that was coming. We think about things like half-naked, chubby angels floating around on clouds with harps. That's not in there, but Precious Moments wants you to think it is, so you buy more of their product. You see, when we think about eternal life, we have to ask the question, what did Jesus say about eternal life? This is what John, same apostle that wrote John chapter 11, the same apostle that wrote... John 3.16 says this, and this is eternal life, that they know you, that this is eternal life, 
that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Love, glory, belief, oh my. And what scripture really says is that God loves us, so he reveals himself to us. And as he reveals himself to us, we see him in brand new ways. We see his glory like we've never seen his glory before. So that we can trust him and put his confidence in him so that we might be saved. And because we're saved, we can now have a relationship to the Father. That God so loved the world that he sent his son to die and to raise again from the, from the grave so that you and I might be saved so that we could know God forever and ever and ever. Amen. And that God loves us by giving himself to us. That means we have to rearrange the way we measure God's love for us. See, that means that we cannot measure God's love for us by how much health, wealth, and comfort he brings into our lives. We cannot measure God's love for us by how much health, wealth, and comfort he brings into our lives. Number one, he never promised that. Number two, that's the prosperity gospel, which is heresy. Number three, if that's true, then God surely hated Paul. We cannot measure God's love for us by how much health, wealth, and comfort is in our lives. Rather, we measure God's love for us based upon how much of himself he reveals to us, how much of himself he shows us, how much of himself he gives us to know and to hold on to and to treasure and to enjoy. See, that new revelation you had, that new thing you saw in Scripture about God, that thing that you heard, that moment you had where you said, God, I see you in a new way, that's God's love for you. How much of himself has he given to you? How much of himself has he revealed to you? Because God says he loves us so much that he would give himself. In fact, I love this, John chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, for most of us, we would claim that God's presence is everywhere, that God is all places. There's nowhere he, that he is not. And I believe that that's common grace, that God is everywhere. Uh, someone who is agnostic or atheist, someone who is hostile towards God could, could claim that same truth. Hey, God is everywhere, even in my life. And you'd go, yeah, that's absolutely true. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus talks about here is what we call his manifest presence. And he says, for those who love me and for those whom I love, for those who keep my commands, those who are loved by the Father, this is how I will love you. I will manifest myself to you. Manifest is to show clearly, to show up, to be present, to reveal the presence. And Jesus says, the way you'll know that I'll love you is because I'm with you. That the way that you'll know that I'm there is because every step of the way, I'm there. That you'll see me and you'll feel me and you'll know me. I love you because I give myself to you. That the holy, holy, holy God of the universe says, I will give myself to you so that you can love me and trust me, that you can see me and put your confidence in me. There's nowhere you could go that I wouldn't go with you. And there's nothing that you couldn't go through that I wouldn't go through with you. Now, this is crucial. Because I think this is what happens in John chapter 11. 
In fact, in John chapter 11, there's three questions that come to Jesus. Three questions of why did you let this happen? And these are asked by three different people or groups. First one is Martha. John chapter 11, verse 21, she goes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not have died. Now, this is a conversation that they have. And what we're going to see is the way Jesus loves Martha is by revealing himself to her. And then Mary goes to Jesus and has a, a very similar phrasing, a, a very similar sentence, but a very different experience. And she goes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And the way Jesus responds, he reveals more of his glory to her. And see, then there's this whole crowd, and the whole crowd's there, and they say, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept the man from dying? You see, the way Jesus responds to them is a new revelation of his glory. And here's why I want, us, I want you to see this. is because the three ways that Jesus responds to Martha, to Mary, and to the crowd, I believe, are the same three ways that he responds to you and he responds to me in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our conflict, in the midst of waiting, and in the midst of pain. The first way that Jesus responds in John 11 is with profound truth. The first way Jesus responds is with profound truth. John chapter 11, starting in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now what's happening here is Martha is telling Jesus, here's the thing. You let him die, and I know you let him die. If you would have showed up, this would have been different. If you would have answered the prayer, this would have been different. In fact, this is what she says. She goes, even now I believe that if you'd asked God, he'd do it. And this is what she's saying. You didn't even have to come. She's saying, even now I still believe that whatever you want, whatever you desire, whatever you ask of your father, he'll do. See, I still believe that. And see, I believe that even if you were there and you made the decision, it would have happened here. So she's putting the weight on him going, here's the thing. I, I need an answer on this. Why didn't you come? Why didn't you show up? I thought you loved him. I thought you loved me. Why did you allow this to happen? And what Jesus says next reveals that he's one of two things. He's either completely mad and has gone nuts, or he really is the Son of God, the Messiah. Because he responds to her in verse 23, and he says, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She goes, I don't really get it, but I, I know there's this thing that one day the Messiah is going to come back and everybody who's died is going to raise again. I know, I know that's going to happen. I don't really understand it. And that's not really comforting to me right now. And then verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. catch this. Jesus is giving her profound truth. He's like, I want to show you something that you've never seen before. 
I want to reveal a piece of me that you haven't recognized yet. He goes, you see, you think the resurrection is something that will happen on a day? It's not just an event. I am the resurrection, and I am the life. And then he gets very, very specific. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. He goes, see, that truth is for Lazarus. Lazarus is already dead. And here's what I'm telling you. Because Jesus is the resurrection and because he's the life, he's going, I'll heal Lazarus. I'll bring him back to life. And he goes, no, Martha, I want to get really specific for you. And he says, and everyone who believes in me and lives shall never die. He goes, see, Martha, that one's for you. See, even though he's dead, he'll live. That one's for Lazarus. And those who live will never die. But that one's for you. Now, I want you to see something. I am the resurrection, and I'm the life. So you didn't know that about me. You never have seen that piece of my glory. And the reason that I'm here is to reveal to you that I'm exactly what you need. And I'm exactly what Lazarus needs. But I want you to see me in a way that you've never seen me before. I am the resurrection. And I am the life. He's telling Martha, I didn't forget you. I didn't abandon you. But I'm here. Because I want to save you from more than what you originally wanted me to do. And I'm here to do a greater work than you originally asked me to do. And the reason that I'm doing this is because I love you. Because I want to reveal my glory to you so that you might believe. And if you would believe, then you would also be saved. Now Mary has a little bit different interaction of Jesus in John chapter 11 starting in verse 32. It says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him and she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping. See, it seems like when Martha went to Jesus, she went to him and she was going to have a conversation with him. She wanted to talk that thing out. I need some answers and I need to know why and I need to know what's going on. But for Mary, it's a different situation. Mary goes to Jesus, and she's just weeping. But John gives you this idea that she even has trouble getting the phrase out. There's one of those moments that she comes to Jesus. She's before him, kneeling on the ground and heartache and grieving, and I imagine she's frustrated and she's angry. She says to him, why weren't you here? See, this is what I love about Jesus. See, Jesus didn't respond to her with profound truth. He was like, hey, Mary, you know, let's talk this out. I want you to see something. He responds to Mary by revealing his emotional side. That Jesus reveals strong emotion. That the way he reveals his glory to her is that he weeps with her. And see, what Jesus shows is that he's not so far off that he's not so holy, that he's not so distant. In fact, 
when Jesus weeps with her, I think he feels a more complex feeling than you and I have ever felt. So 33, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, when many people talk about this verse, they'll talk about Jesus is upset that Lazarus has died. I don't think that's why Jesus was upset. He planned for Lazarus to die. And some people would talk about Jesus is, is weeping because Mary and Martha are weeping and the crowd are weeping. And I think that's true. I think there's actually two sides to the emotion that Jesus is feeling. The first one I think he's feeling is compassion. When you get to John chapter 11, verse 34, it says Jesus wept. I think that's compassion. But these two phrases we're looking at are not compassion. Deeply moved and greatly troubled are not compassionate phrases. In fact, the first word deeply moved is used in John chapter 11, verse 38, and then only three other times outside the gospel. Every other time the word deeply moved is used, it is not a word of compassion, but a word of rebuke and warning. The same is true with the word greatly troubled. It means being shaken or agitated. It is the exact same word that John uses in John chapter 5, verse 7, when he talks about the pools of Bethsaida being stirred up. And he uses it again in John chapter 14, verse 1, when he says, let not your hearts be troubled. This is not a positive emotion. This is not empathy. This is not compassion. This is something else. You see, I think the best the best illustration we have for what Jesus is feeling is kind of that feeling you have as a parent. And I don't know where you stand on this issue, and I'm not trying to say one way or another, so if you email me on this, I'm just going to delete it. But this is like as a parent, when you have a, a young infant, and you realize that there's things called vaccinations that you have to do, if you so choose to do, in whatever order you choose to do, being political. And what happens is, is you go to the doctor, and the doctor does this great thing where the doctor says, hey, mom or dad, go, ho- go ahead and hold the child down. See, my response is, no, see, this is why you get paid the big money. I'm going to go get a latte. Call me when it's done. And if you've ever had this before, you know this feeling as you're holding your child, and what, you're really, what you really know is what you're going through is good for you. What you're going through is going to help you. It's going to help you not get things like polio. Like, I'm making a wise decision for you. But it's going to be painful. And you're not going to like it. But as a parent, what I believe is that that quick pinch and maybe that little fever that comes, that's easier to deal with than what might come if we don't do this. But as you hold your child and your child begins to scream and looks at you like, why? Why would you do this? I think there's this thing inside of you, if you're a loving parent, there's this thing inside of you, you go, hey, I, I told myself that I would never say this, but this hurts me more than it hurts you. Because there's a piece of you that your heart is broken. Because you're going, I want you to know how much I love you. And I don't want to see you like this. But it almost hurts a little bit that you don't trust me. It almost hurts a little bit that you don't understand that I, I'm making the best possible decision for you. Maybe it's like being the boss or a leader of an organization or or a ministry or or anything like that where you've put hours into making the best possible decision. 
and you've prayed on it, and, and you've contemplated, and you've sought advice, and, and you go, okay, I need to make the best possible decision. I can only make one decision, and you put your heart and your soul, your blood and your tears and your perspiration into that thing, and you make the decision, and then somebody goes, I wouldn't have done that. And you think in the back of your head, I can't remember the last time you did anything. And then you think to yourself, don't you trust me? I mean, don't you think that we thought about this? Like, don't you think we weeped over this? Don't you think it was just as hard for us to make the decision as it was for you to hear the decision we made? See, that's what Jesus feels. On one hand, he feels compassion. And on the other hand, I think he feels this deep turmoil of, don't you know how much I love you? And I don't know that we'll ever fully understand what Jesus felt, but this is what I love. Is Jesus reveals that even though he's fully God, he's a God that weeps too. That it's all it's like as though in that moment, in Mary and Martha and Lazarus' life, in the crowd's life, in the disciples' life, in your life, in my life, it's like in that moment, Jesus leans into us and he says, how it feels. I get it. I weep when you weep. I feel the hurt that you feel. I feel more than you feel. But I know. Do you know in Scripture, in all the Bible, there's only three references to Jesus weeping. One is when he came into the city of Jerusalem and he prayed the high priestly prayer over them and saw how lost and how far from God they were. But it said he was far off, and I'm not sure that the disciples saw it. The third one is in Revelation. And so it's more of something that takes place in the heavenly realms as Christ looks down and weeps. And this is the only one that people really witness. I think for Mary and for Martha, I think the disciples, seriously, I think the disciples, well, we've never seen him done that before. Have you seen Jesus cry before? Have you seen Jesus cry before? We don't know what to do. He's never done that before. And God leans into your situation, into my situation, and he goes, I get it. I'm not too big for this. You hurt. Here's the thing. I hurt. I weep with you how great is it that we have a God who knows the sting of pain, who knows the bitterness of tears because he weeps them too. And the last thing that he does is he responds with powerful action. Sometimes God responds through truth. Sometimes he responds through emotion. Sometimes he responds through powerful action. Sometimes it's like your favorite question on a test. It's D, all the above. And what we see in John chapter 11, starting in verse 39, Jesus responding to what's going on, he asked to be taken to the tomb. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Now, don't miss this. Jesus says, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. Now, don't miss this. Who asked Jesus to come perform a miracle? This is not hypothetical. Who asked Jesus to come perform a miracle? Martha and Mary. 
And Jesus shows up and he goes, hey, take away the stone. I've given you some truth. I've shown you some emotion. I'm revealing my glory. Take away the stone. And look at the very people that asked God to show up are going, no, 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 you can't do that. No, 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 we wanted you to do this, but we definitely don't want you to do that. And don't miss this. You and I do the exact same thing. We beg God, show up, show up, show up, show up. We need you to. God, I need you to do this in my marriage. God, I need you to do this in my finances. God, I need you to do this in this workplace. God, I need you to do this in my community. God, I need you to do this in my kids. I need you to do this. And he shows up, and we go, not like that. You can't do that. We wanted you to do this. See, sometimes the very God we have to show up, he shows up, and we go, not like that. And I love this. And Jesus says to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Then I, don't you get it? This is the whole reason I came. This is the whole reason I'm here. I'm about to show you the biggest revelation of God's glory that you've ever seen. And here's why, because I want you to believe. You asked me to come. You asked me to save. And now I'm here. And I'm about to save you from more than you could even imagine. John chapter 11, verse 42. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you have always heard me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. This is Jesus' prayer. God, I know what's about to happen. You know what's about to happen. And here's the thing. This is my prayer. Help them believe. Help them see the glory. Help them see that I'm the one that you sent. Help them believe in me because you sent me, because you love them, because you want them to believe in you. And when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. And to everyone there, Jesus reveals that he is exactly who he says he is. He's the resurrection and he is the life. Martha knew it. Mary knew it, the crowd knew it, the disciples knew it. Nobody had to convince Lazarus. He's convinced. But the question is, do you and I believe it? Because I believe John chapter 11 is just as much for you and it is for me as it was for them. And see, what Jesus does is he gives us a beautiful preview of his glory. He reveals himself to us so that we might believe in him when we end up in moments like Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and the crowd. In those moments when everything around us seems broken. How do we believe and how do we grasp and how do we walk in faith? And this is what Jesus shows us. That when it comes to your need and for my need for salvation, when it comes to your need and my need for someone to pay for our sins, that Jesus responds with profound truth. The word became 
flesh. And that God responds with deep emotion for God so loved the world that he gave. And he responds with powerful action that he would go to the cross even though he was innocent, that he would die a shameful death for you and for me, and that he would raise again on the third day so that we might have life and life to the full. See, if you're here today, maybe one of the reasons God wants you to be here is because he loves you. And the way he wants to love you is by revealing himself to you. And maybe the very reason you're here today is because Jesus wants you to know like he wanted Martha and Mary and Lazarus and the crowd and the disciples to know that he is the resurrection, that he is the life, and that even though we live, that if we believe in him, we will never die. That's a promise for eternal life. That because God loved you, he sent Jesus so you could see him and believe in him. That he sent Jesus who would live for you and die for you so that you might know God for all of this life and for all of eternity. See, the question is, the same thing that Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And those who have died may live. And those who live will never die. Do you believe? You see, maybe this morning as we walk through the scripture, maybe there's something that's happened inside of you. Like maybe there's this tugging at your heart. Maybe there's this new sight. Maybe there's this feeling for the first time in your life that says, you know what? I need Jesus. And we've heard people talk about it. It seems like a, a nut in their heart that kind of cracks open, that there's this new life. I love this. This is one of my favorites. One of our brothers said it felt like he got dipped into a hot tub. Because there's this moment where I felt like I was in a hot tub and I just knew I needed Jesus. I was warm and tingly and I just knew right now I need Jesus. I've heard people say that, man, every time I heard scripture, it was like, want, 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 want. And then one time I heard it, for God so loved the world, that's me, that he gave his son for me, that I'm, I need that. And see, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe the reason you're here is because God loves you so much that he wants to reveal himself to you so that you can see him, so that you can believe in him, so that you might be saved by him, so that you can have a relationship with him. Now, there's another side to this. Is that there's maybe some of us here today and you go, yeah, but like, okay, I'm, I'm already saved. And so my current, present suffering can't be about salvation. Like maybe I'm not supposed to go through this so I can accept Jesus because I've already accepted Jesus. And I go, you're probably right. And see, this is the thought that I had this week. This is where I felt like God showed up in that moment in my life. See, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a believer, if you've been saved, if you trust in Jesus... If you believe in him for eternity, like if you believe that he went to the cross for you and he died for you, and if you believe that he rose again for you, and if you believe that the moment that you die, you end up in heaven because God promised it to you in scripture, 
If you can trust him for all of that, then can you trust him with what you're currently going through? Like if you can trust him for all of eternity, if you can trust him for salvation, could you trust him with your situation? Because this is what's so amazing is that the same way Jesus responds to our salvation is the same way he responds to our current suffering and situation. That in the midst of the struggle, he gives us profound truth. That he gives them truth about himself, that the word became flesh. That the things that you're weeping about, God weeps about. And then he leans into your situation and he goes, I know. I know what it feels like. That he actually promises us that he weeps too. And that even though he doesn't do what we want him to do, he always gives us his best. And that even though he's not working on our timeline and answering all of our things that we request, that he always responds with powerful action. And if we can believe him for salvation, if we can trust in him for salvation, can we trust in him that he would give himself to us in the middle of our situation? Because he is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Father God, we do come before you this morning. God, we believe that you and you alone save. And Jesus, we believe that your word is holy, is living, is the breathing, active voice of God the Father. And God, we come before you this moment. And God, what we need more than anything is you. God, I thank you that you reveal yourself to us, that you show yourself to us. God, that you always respond with profound truth. God, that you always respond with deep emotion that you would love us and cry for the things that we cry for. And God, that you always perform great miraculous acts. And God, I pray this moment as we come before you, God, that you would help us to see you like we've never seen you before. God, that you would increase our faith so that we could trust you like we've never trusted you before. And God, that even though what we walk through is difficult, that we would know you were bigger, that you were greater, that you never let go. But rather, because you love us, you manifest yourself to us. God, help us to treasure you and to hold on to you and to see you like we've never seen you before. And God, we proclaim in this place that you and you alone save, that you hold the keys to salvation, that it's only by your will and by your call and by your desire that we might see you as we're supposed to see you that you alone save. And God, I pray right now in this place that if there's those of us here 
who have never said yes to you, that maybe we've never seen you, is the resurrection and the life. That God, maybe we've never heard the truth about you. That maybe today's the first day we understood it. Maybe today's the first day that this, our heart feels alive. Maybe it's the first day we feel like we can see you or understand you. And there's something inside of us, which I believe is your call. That we need to say yes to you. That we need to say no to our sin. And today would be the day that we come to you and we say, God, more than anything, what I want is you. And the way to get to you, Heavenly Father, is through the Son whom you sent us, who lived and who died and who rose again. See, what Scripture says is that if you would believe, that if you would confess with your mouth that he is Lord, and if you believe in your heart, that he will save. 